Hello, everybody. Today, I chat with Steph Moy, and Steph is building this awesome company called Pin Power Numbers, and they're kind of like a platform to democratize venture capital. And so you can think of this as something similar to AngelList, which are these syndicates where people kind of come in and kind of can get access to deals. But AngelList only works with accredited investors. So you have to be all rich in stuff in order to invest. And Steph's platform, PIN, allows these kind of investment clubs to invest with, you know, smaller minimum check sizes of like 3000 bucks or whatever. And the cool thing is that they are not just, um, they're still investing with the top VCs versus something like some of these equity crowdfunding platforms where you have like negative selection bias and like only the worst deals go to those platforms versus these are like, you can actually get exposure and access to the top deals uh, in venture capital by joining some of these clubs. So it's a cool story and it's cool to hear how Steph is excited by um, A, how, how VC is gonna change and how maybe hopefully in the next kind of 10 or 20 years, VCs will lose power and these like communities will gain power. Um, and then also just hearing about her and how the, you know, kind of her why, her deep why behind this around democratizing access and the power law. Uh, it was all fun, all good to hear about. So thank you, uh, hope you're well, listener. And um, yeah, hope you enjoyed today's episode with Steph. Bye. Hello, Reese's Pieces. I'm Reese, the co-founder of Root, and welcome to The Reese Show. This century is a turning point in human history, and I'm here to help you navigate it. I hope you come away with a new understanding of the scientific, technological, and societal trends that are poised to radically reshape our world, and how you can work with those trends to become a live player building a solar punk future. And today, I'm excited to chat with Steph Moy. Steph is the founder and CEO of Penn Power Numbers, a startup that makes it easy to start investment clubs. And Penn is backed by great folks like Initialized Capital. Steph, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, excited to dive in. And uh, before the show, Steph and I were just vibing about... Um, you know, there's kind of a funny version of finance where it's like you can imagine a bunch of finance bros or, you know, sorority chicks or I don't know what to call them. But, you know, these people that are like, let's make money and more money or whatever. And uh, I think Steph and I are both oriented towards the world of VC and finance, much more from a democratizing access angle. And so um, that was just kind of like a fun little back and forth. And so that's kind of what we're going to be diving into today is like, you know, to pick Steph's brain on the future of VC. Um, and so with that, Steph, let's start with just like, what is PIN and what is an investment club? Yeah, good question. Uh, so PIN is a platform that we've built uh, that basically helps any group out there start an investing vehicle for both accredited and unaccredited members to invest together in startups. It actually started from a personal kind of pain point of myself. I was in grad school and wanted to do this for 400 of my classmates and found there wasn't really a way to do that. Um, not only a legal structure to accommodate it, but from like the legal and administrative part of things, it was still extremely um, repetitive and expensive. And so PIN is basically the accumulation of a bunch of learnings that we've had over the years to make it as easy and simple as possible for anyone to use. Um, and investment clubs, as you mentioned, are essentially just vehicles for groups um, of anywhere from 50 to hundreds of people to invest together um, using a voting mechanism. So everyone actually has an underlying say in what the group invests in. And like I said, PIN kind of empowers that specifically for groups to do and start investing. Okay, cool. That's interesting. I think it's, um, yeah, I'm reminded of you know, if you're trying to get, yeah, just getting people access to capital and getting, um, and whether it is if you're raising a VC fund and you're trying to get LPs and you have certain amounts of like, oh, you can't go over a hundred or whether you just want to, um, yeah, invest with a squad and be like, great. How, like, it would be nice if, um, in grad school, you have these folks who are like, oh, wow, there's just like cool startup for my friend that I'd really love to invest in or whatever. And it's like, can I put in a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or kind of, and it's like, not really. <laughs> um, it's really hard. Totally. Um, and that's exactly what I love. It's like, I am a huge advocate of people investing in their friends. And so a big part of this is like helping people invest in community members, like people they worked with, friends of theirs, so on and so forth. Yeah. And so tell me how I'm kind of, um, you know, I am, you know, moderately crypto pilled in various ways. And so tell me about this, this just like, um, and, and, and there's like two ways to come at community. One way is like, we're going to make a DAO or the DAO have, you know, all the members and the members get a coin weighted vote, you know, based off the thing. Or there's kind of your way, which is like, look, we don't necessarily need crypto. And we're going to just like make 400, you know, 400 people can come in and they can get together and invest. Tell me how you think about like, community and also like distributing ownership and decentralization of, of governance there. 
Yeah, I think we definitely take a lot of inspiration from having watched the Web3 and crypto movement, and it's still very much ongoing. Um, I myself participated in a lot of DAOs and found kind of like the distributed responsibilities of making something really unique happen to be really fascinating. And we've taken a lot of inspiration from that. Um, funnily enough, PIN and basically the first vehicle I started that inspired PIN um, came way before that. We've been working on this kind of in the background, really just as a side project for four and a half years. And so kind of by nature, the fact that I was working with a more conservative kind of finance first group and a little bit less crypto first, we did things from a um, kind of like a legal and policy perspective first, basically figuring out like a legal way to do it from a, an infrastructure perspective. Um, and then over time, we found that we've actually been involving, evolving our behavior to be more similar to a DAO in the sense that there's obviously a purpose that we're all there together for. It's to invest in awesome startups together, um, whether in classmates or friends or coworkers, um, or also more commonly expanding into startups around missions that we all care about. And so in that way, everyone kind of plays an active role. It could be, of course, voting, which everyone does, but it's also sourcing, it's helping portfolio companies, it's hosting events, it's recruiting new members to the vehicle, um, it's doing some of the kind of um, other work in the background to keep the lights on, things like that. Um, and so a lot of our products inspired by the fact that um, there no longer needs to be like a centralized leadership of any organization. Um, certainly there are people who take on leadership roles, but those um, responsibilities can be distributed and we can actually reward people um, as such for those behaviors as well. Yeah, interesting. It's, it reminds me of um, the Orange Dow crew and that they have, um, in the end, they there's three investment partners. And if two of the three say yes, then they invest in the thing. But all of the sourcing and diligence and everything else, it happens through the squad. And so it's just like a big kind of squad system that then eventually gets opt up and then they make a decision within 24 hours or whatever. And then they just kind of like are able to roll through a lot of folks like that. So how do you, I guess, you know, so, you know, you have these new networks of maybe give an example of some of these investment clubs. You said one of them could be like, uh, yeah, so give some investment examples. Yeah, um, an easy one would be, of course, the one that I helped start uh, in grad school at Stanford, but maybe I'll use a more recent one that's top of mind and, and related to crypto. So another early one that we helped start was um, a group of early Coinbase employees investing together in Coinbase founded startups or ex Coinbase founded um, startups or crypto startups more broadly. Um, and I think similar to Orange Dow is an interesting example. We look up to them a lot. We're working with a YC group right now, actually, um, using PIN for a similar use case. Um, but I think where we differ is that there are no kind of master decision makers. So unlike a traditional fund or kind of unlike the structure that you just said at Orange Dow, um, there aren't like, you know, GPs that are making the final investment decisions. Um, each of these groups kind of come together with a thesis in mind. So in the Coinbase case, it is, you know, we're investing in X Coinbase alum who are founding startups um, and crypto related startups, they must be raising a certain amount of money um, led by a reputable VC on a list that's fully transparent for everyone to see. And so when investments actually come to the table, it's usually very black or white. Does this you know, investment fit the criteria or not? And therefore people can vote accordingly, but a lot of people opt to actually default their votes um, to, to opt in for any investments that fit the criteria they've already decided upon upfront. And so I think um, that's like a slight difference I would kind of highlight is it's not all it's not at all um, a concentrated um, decision making uh, organization. It's very much distributed for everyone to kind of rally behind. That's cool. That's interesting. It's cool to also hear the almost like so yeah. And I think your website when I was looking through it a week or two ago, you guys have an amazing set of because there's all these mafias that exist in the world. Some of the original ones were like there's the Alibaba mafia, there's the PayPal mafia, Netscape mafia, and then the more recent ones of the Stripe Mafia, the Figma Mafia, all these kinds of things, Coinbase Mafia. Um, <laughs> um, mafia may not be a politically correct term, but um, the um, <laughs> so it. Um, but yeah, that crew. And so you have all, on your site, by the way, all these awesome lists of um, the different kind of uh, things that have spun. Because like, it kind of makes sense where you have a bunch of agentic people who come together and like, oh, I'm a, like a random person who's, you know, oh, what should I go to? Oh, I'll work at Coinbase. And then I work at Coinbase for a while. And then eventually I kind of spin out and do my own thing or whatever. Um, and so it kind of makes sense that they kind of self-propagate these, these uh, mafias. But it's really cool to hear that the the programmatic nature of, of your thing where it's like, look, you can either... <laughs> here's what we're looking for. It's like, we don't just invest in any random, like here's a B2B SaaS startup that's doing, it's like, no, you're, it's X Coinbase person doing a crypto company at this stage that has been invested in by this um, set of lead investors. And if so, and you can kind of just, it, it's easy because it allows everybody to kind of opt because an issue with the crypto space in general is that voting um, percentages are like less than 10% for these things. And so it's like having an opt-in kind of programmatic way is really cool. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's funny. Originally, when we did that, it was actually a big function um, or it was mostly from like a practical um, point of view, right? We knew that we wanted to create a vehicle for, you know, 200 to 400 people to invest together. And the one way that we can make it inclusive is that everyone needs to have a vote. And our one constraint was we want everyone to have a vote, but getting, you know, 200 people to vote every single time and every single investment would be, you know, a, a basically a, a showstopper for, you know, the group to make any investment at all. Because as you know, to your point, getting even like 10 people to do anything consistently is really hard, let alone 200. And so the way that, or the way that we've gotten around that and found it to be really efficient is as long as we rally people up front and make it super crystal clear, you know, the group is excited about investing in this you know, kind of to your point, um, specific subset of startups that follow these rules. We found it's great for decision making and um, efficiency and, and from a practical perspective, very helpful. Um, but we also find it's really great because being more narrow um, as a group also gives you a very clear idea of what the group is going to help with, right? For the Coinbase people, it's like the crypto expertise that they provide for any crypto startup. And I'd say 80 plus percent of um, startups that come from Coinbase Lab, you know, are unsurprisingly in crypto. And so there's very kind of strong like investor startup fit as well. Like the value add is very clear right from the get go, which is why that kind of black and white decision making in some ways helps a lot with our structure. Yeah, that's cool. It um and and then so tell me how this so as a um if I think about general so so you know we've we've moved um there's this great book uh what the heck is the name of that book something about the invention of Silicon Valley or some about oh Power Law Power Law um which is a book about um the history of venture capital um and it's a good overview and it's like you know in the 50s there was none of it but then we started to get um you know um uh fairchild semiconductor and shockley and all this stuff and then we eventually got the sequoias and whatever of the world and so and then but it's been more and, more, and at that time it was like hard to get anybody to invest in anything um and now we're in this place where it's like for many years we had whatever the a16z's and the sequoias that were like big investment firms but then we got something like angel lists and angel list syndicates um tell me how something like pen because in my mind a syndicate you get a squad together, you kind of choose what to, I guess that one, each individual person can choose when to put their money in versus this version. It's like every, you put in your money at the beginning and then it automatically either based off of the vote, it like determines whether to actually like put in the check. Is that the main difference or what, how does it relate to angel syndicates? Yeah, I actually really appreciate you bringing that up and especially actually the power law dynamic because that's something that, um, I truly believe it and obviously statistics show and is why I genuinely believe in our model as being the best model for an everyday person, including myself, for anyone who really doesn't do this professionally to get exposure to this asset class that could otherwise be really risky and still is risky, frankly. Um, I think the frustration that I had with other options to invest in this asset class, whether to your point, it's like one-off syndicates that even in a, you know, most people can't join, but accredited people can. Um, we're syndicates where, again, it's kind of on the individual to have to cherry pick the investments um, to invest in. And there's also kind of a selection um, bias, if you will, too. Like only certain startups also opt to, to raise money from syndicates. So the selection of companies also is narrowed by that. Or you have equity crowdfunding, which is accessible to everyone. Um, but again, there's, I'd say, even bigger kind of selection bias where I'd say most companies, especially those that are, you know, backed by the top venture firms, typically don't opt for equity crowdfunding. Of course, that's not 100% true, but I'd say a lot of them don't opt in for that because it's so um, logistically time consuming and expensive in a lot of cases. And so our fundamental problem that we were trying to solve is like, there are all these awesome companies, they're concentrated in, you know, the top 5% that actually make a ton of money. They're invested in, you know, very, very commonly by the top firms, but there's a fundamental disconnect of that opportunity, um, versus like what an everyday person can access. So what I love about PIN is that almost all of our groups, I'd say literally, you know, 95 plus percent of them exclusively invest alongside the top VCs. And I think that's helpful, not only for the streamlined decision-making that we mentioned earlier, uh, but it also kind of adds an extra layer of kind of like security and legitimacy to everything that, you know, uh, people are investing in. Um, and it also takes kind of the, the pressure off of having to diligence every single opportunity for legitimacy, but also to have to cherry pick the best deals. Because as we know, even professionals, you know, their hit rates are, you know, even the best in class investors have losing records or have uh, losing investments because that's kind of the, the nature of venture. And so a lot of people actually opt into PIN where they have a check size anywhere from $3,000 or more, but they get a full kind of selection of 15 to 20 index companies, again, in like a community that they're a part of or a mission that they really believe in. And all these um, investments, again, are kind of, uh, extra secure in the sense that they've been vetted and co-invested in alongside um, the top venture capital firms in the space. Yeah, yeah, I love that because I think it's it is funny because there's all this like um, 
I don't know, like a, something like a do-gooder dreaming or something where it's like, oh man, wouldn't it be great if um, we could have the folks who go through Angelist Syndicate or the folks who go through um, the, yeah, these equity crowdfunding platforms. Oh, you can get access to these. And it's like, the it, just the tough thing is that the top, top people really, it does, yeah, there's a selection bias. They don't really seem to go through there. And it's weird because it's like these self-propagating systems where it's like yeah, you if you... Um, if you become a super high quality, if you get some home runs and grand slams and, be, and then you be, get the brand of a really high quality firm, then everybody wants to come to you and, and then vice versa. And you have these networks. And so it's just like, it just like continues this system of just like um, the best firms get the best startups, get the best firms. And so, um, and so ways to, so have you found like pushback from like top firms or whatever to be like, Hey, that's like, that's our allocation or whose allocation are you like taking away? You know? Yeah, so actually, I love that you brought that up as well, because I think that's, again, a big part of why I believe in our model so much. And so to your point, there were kind of two problems that we were featured, um, tasked with to solve in the beginning. One was how do we like literally allow ourselves or our, our members to invest in startups from like a legal perspective? So we checked the box there, we talked about that. The second is how do we make sure that the top founders actually will take our money? Because even if we're legally allowed to invest, this is all useless if the top founders won't take the money. And so what we found is, Founders actually love this money for lots of reasons. You know, you can imagine an ex-Coinbase person being ecstatic to take money from an ex-Coinbase group because it's the people that they've worked with for several years, especially in the early trenches of building. There's a high bar for the people that are in that group. And so you're, you know, excited about having um, this group that you know well from a sentimental level involved. I'd say that's kind of like baseline. But if you think about it also from like a value add perspective, founders, when they're kind of dealing with rounds that are getting oversubscribed, they're trying to figure out, okay, which investors are going to give me, or which combination of investors are going to give me the biggest advantage um, in terms of my long-term likelihood of succeeding. And a big part of that, of course, top VCs, to your point earlier, provide a lot of value and capital in some ways. Angels who have very prominent expertise or great track records, that's another kind of value add. I think where PIN community vehicles really stand out and where we kind of win allocation, especially compared to, you know, um, other angels or micro VCs or other kind of co-investors that have historically taken um, the allocation that we now take a lot more of is the fact that, you know, to our name, power and numbers, there's a very kind of large um, power in having a big group of curated people on your cap table for a relatively small check amount, right? Our vehicles are writing checks anywhere from say 50 to 250K alongside a multi, multi-million dollar round. And no other co-investor on the platform has this group of like 50 to 200 to 400 people that are all you know, highly networked or even just having sheer numbers to be able to boost you on social media or product hunt when you launch or provide user feedback or you know, connect you with the you know, advisor or the customer that you're really hoping to get in touch with. There's really true kind of like power numbers. And so we find that actually we have a huge competitive advantage because there's no other entity right now that really kind of serves that value add for a lot of top founders. Cool. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like a, how to win allocation. You win allocation by having the most dollars per value add or whatever. And um, and so if you have 100K um, in money, it's like, hey, I'm your little micro VC, Reese. You know, like I can help you out. It's like, well, but it's just you, man, like um, versus... Just, Reese, you know, you another... would, I'd welcome you on my cap table. Okay. You're the exception, but second <laughs> hey. to you. Second to me, all the other right you. You. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, uh, but I guess, yeah. And then the hundred, and the question is, yeah, one person who's more, and this is a kind of a classic um, thing where it's like, do you want a, and I do think you want a lead, but then the question is when you have all the other, when you fill up the rest of the cap table, it's like, oh, do you want to like some random other person that will be, and yeah, these things, I'll be curious to see how it all like gets out in terms of like one person at 100K giving, you know, let's call it one person's worth of value add versus 100 people. And it sounds like right now, those 100 people are adding up to more than one person's worth of value add, which makes sense. It's, it might be like, you know, three to five people's worth of value. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just speaking random numbers and shit now. But I, I see what no, you're saying. No, no, that's the... Exactly. No, that's exactly the value proposition that we're really leaning into. Um, not that there aren't lots of individuals out there that can provide value, but if you're evaluating 20 different individuals and then a pin club and it's, you know, which is kind of a very unique value add, we typically find that people are welcome, well, very welcoming of a group like this, um, in addition to VCs and other angels that you could choose it. Yeah, so, yeah, cool. Yeah. It, um, and so, so tell me about, so, and then you're saying that, so if I'm, let's say, let the Coinbase example, there's this Coinbase um, investment club. And then do I, if pretend I'm a, can you walk through, if I'm a Coinbase employee, what does, what does it look like for me to use the platform? Or not a Coinbase employee, yeah, but yeah, a Coinbase so, person investing in the club. Yeah. Sure. Um, 
just to clarify, do you mean someone who's looking to start a new one or someone who wants to join one of these clubs? Someone who's a, uh, I'm a Coinbase employee and I want to join this uh, club. Got it. Um, so unfortunately now it's closed. That's also <laughs> a element of this too. Yeah. I find that a lot of these raise very successfully and very quickly because there's a limited window to kind of getting involved. But for, you know, you know, say we're raising, they're raising another vehicle in the future. Um, basically the cool thing about our clubs is that um, any one part of a group can be the initiator. So we find that although say 10 to 20% of our groups are initiated by people who have formal leadership positions, 80 plus percent are actually just people as part of any community or alum group or school or whatever it is, co founder cohort, who's just really excited about bringing this to their community. And so um, if you, for example, a Coinbase employee, um, you would have likely have heard about it from your alumni group. Um, or been reached out to by one of the leaders or one of the other members. Um, and what PIN does is make it super easy for you to actually commit to the vehicle. So you would get an invite link to PIN and literally kind of laid out steps one through four. You would see everything ranging from the legal docs, compliance information, um, you know, wiring um, abilities, um, et cetera, to basically commit fully to the vehicle. And then after you're actually in a member, um, you have full kind of access to communicating with other members, big value proposition for sure. People love staying in touch with other alums as part of different communities they're part of. Um, and then you get vote notifications every time new votes come through, propose investments yourself, um, volunteer for different opportunities to enhance the group in other ways, whether through events or inviting other people or, or other things. Um, and yeah, we find that it's kind of a, a true both investing vehicle, but also kind of like a social and professional network as well for, for members to stay in touch with each other through us. Yeah. Better than LinkedIn for sure. Um, it's uh, <laughs> the lowest bar, you know. Um, it, it, Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and so, and so for these vehicles, is it usually um, in, in Coinbase or Lyft or Figma or anything? Are we talking like is the vehicle like you know five hundred k to five million? Like, and what are the check sizes that come out from the vehicles, and what are the check sizes that go into the vehicles? <laughs> Yeah, it really varies by community, and that's been really fascinating. Um, we're working on basically uh, new tooling that allows us to support smaller groups. Um, basically, the high level there is like there are certain tax and compliance costs per person that are kind of separate from PIN that um, just kind of exist in today's world that kind of artificially um, increase the smallest amount that we can possibly take. Um, but even in today's environment, um, our uh, our average fund sizes are anywhere from one million to say ten or more. Um, check sizes into the vehicles, again, range anywhere from three at the minimum all the way to $250,000. Um, average check size has historically been around 15K, but again, it really kind of varies per group and the different um, makeup of those. And then in terms of what those groups are actually investing in, um, to stay competitive, again, our check sizes into companies are typically anywhere from, say, 50 to 250K. So like a true co-investing check alongside a multi-million dollar round. So we're really not, I would say, competitive with especially any of the big VCs. If anything, I think they actively seek us out because we're good sourcing partners um, and additions to a cap table versus competitive. Cool. Great. Got it. Yeah. So, you know, $5 million um, uh, vehicle with, you know, everybody putting in 15K and then you're putting out 100K check sizes. Okay, cool. That makes sense. It, um, yeah. And so, so I want to kind of, so I think, so yeah, and thanks for um, walking us all through the kind of, it's cool. It's, I mean, this is cool new feature where obviously the internet, everybody's networked and everybody has these little squads. And so you, you kind of like making kind of value-based networks around the squads makes a lot of sense. Um, and so tell me, I want to kind of zoom out a bit. And I think there's like two sides that we could go to, or actually, let me ask one other specific question before doing that. The legal stuff, how did, um, you did, you made some kind of roll up vehicle, or how did you, how did, what is, what happened on the legal end to make this all happen? Yeah, I mean, I could go on for a long time about that, yeah. but the high level essentially is that we got really lucky with the discovery of the investment club, which I think came into popularity again recently, and I'm sure you've heard a lot about it, even across and separate from PIN, but um, investment vehicles, or sorry, excuse me, investment clubs had been around for quite some time, but historically had never been used for this kind of purpose, which um, in our case, obviously, is group investing in startups, and so there had never been really kind of infrastructure to support a vehicle where it, we could have large numbers of individuals um, of again, mixed accreditation, which investment clubs can accommodate, um, but to invest in startups, which historically haven't been able to be accessed in this way. And so that I would say served as the major base for how we were able to kind of do what we are today. And now we've built out kind of a full infrastructure, again, legal admin tax work, but then also our own kind of like technology platform to make raising of these much easier as well. Um, we certainly have some limitations, of course, but we're 
working with the space to kind of hopefully accelerate our, our broader mission of making this asset class more accessible to more people. And that's what we're excited about. Cool, cool. So yeah, so it sounds like it was a the investment an investment club was like something that the government understood and has understood for a long time. That there's some kind of legal framework for an investment club. Is that right? Yeah, I just had kind of lost popularity and historically have been used more for stock investing versus private investing like what we're doing. Okay. T I L because yeah, I think there's a narrative that is like, um, hey, there are only accredited investors can invest. You need to make more than 200K. And there can be, you know, if you want to syndicate, you can have up to, you know, 99 people in it or whatever. But it sounds like there's this other awesome other route, which is this investment club. And you guys have built a lot of infrastructure around that investment club kind of legal structure. So um, that makes sense. Going back to a thing that you were just chatting about, kind of like higher level of like the, the, the mission that you guys have. I think there's like, there's two different, the, the first question I want to start with is like, um, tell me more about, um, what you see as, you know, democratizing access to VC and how to, how to do that while not allowing people to just like put their money into random scams. And yeah, tell me about like the big mission and, and why you're kind of. In it. Yeah, I, so I started my career in venture capital and I think it was kind of a wake up call for me in the sense that I just didn't even know this world existed. And once I was in it in a professional capacity, kind of by accident, I found a lot of both personal and professional uh, joy and just learnings from it that I was truly surprised by that literally a year before I had even had the job, I just had never had. And I think something that I, you know, not only did I get a lot of personal benefit of it, but I think it was always like kind of a, an interesting realization for me that uh, even if you're in it in a professional capacity, like everything is so kind of word of mouth and networks driven and access driven. And that was always just something that um, I'd say bothered me a little bit, especially as someone who had come from the outside and could really empathize with that, but also felt kind of like unfair and unlevel in some ways. And I think actually that feeling was only exacerbated when I went to grad school. Um, I went to Stanford Business School, which proximity wise, you know, and also just our, you know, professors there, everything, you know, you would guess that the students and the staff and the, the community there has, you know, the most privilege of most average groups out there in terms of access and ability to get into this asset class. Um, but it was surprising that there was still such a huge knowledge gap amongst a lot of people. And like quite literally 60 plus percent of our class was unaccredited. And despite kind of the proximity and the advantages that we've all had in the education level, there was still no way for a lot of these people to have access to this class. And so that was kind of just like a frustration for me. Um, and just a, a big question and a reason why I kind of hopped on to this as what I thought was literally going to be a side project and nothing more, um, but ends up turning into obviously the basis of what PIN is today, which is super exciting. And so when I think about our bigger mission and why I'm excited about it, it's, um, you know, if you look at it on a macro level, seeing literally kind of the wealth creation over the last 15 years being driven significantly by private markets and having that gap grow more and more and more when you compare it to public markets. Um, I just feel like it's inevitable that everyday people will have access to it. And so we're trying to pave the way to that um, in the kind of most careful and, uh, thoughtful way to your point about not opening up the door for other kind of scams um while also making sure that people actually are aware of this and have access to it and understand why it's important um so that's kind of our our whole mission as a company yeah i love it i think it um it makes me think too about a thing that i uh a little meme that i heard, had came to my mind earlier when you were chatting it re-came to my mind again which is just yeah you guys are like vanguard for for private equity or whatever where it's like back mm -hmm. in the day Vanguard um, was this, and no one could, there was no index fund on the stock market. And so if you were some random person in the eighties or whatever, and you're like, oh, wow, there's, I seem to like IBM, but like, there's no real way for me to, or there's like all these, you know, companies are doing things, but there's no way to access it. And so then we got the beautiful thing of the mutual fund and like the mutual fund and these index funds were really helpful because they could just allow normal people to just like put their one click, you put your money into the thing and then it goes up and to the right. Um, <laughs> and so having that <laughs> kind of a thing for, for private equity and VC does seem good. Um, it also makes me think, or let, let me ask you, what, what, is that, is that kind of, is that kind of index fund for, um, for private, like, how does that, does that resonate or not resonate? Yeah. That resonates a bit. I think we're far away from a world where we can have like a true index fund of this asset class that I think matches, uh, the access that we want for everyone. Like to your point, as we think about kind of like the power law of VC, like there will be fundamentally kind of a selection, um, why am I blanking on this word? Like a selection bias, I guess, of any index that we try to create where, you know, the best companies who um, may not need external capital might not opt to be in an index like that. And I don't think we have a, a true kind of 
uh, industry-wide index that's really reliable, even though in the future, I hope that becomes uh, a real reality. But I think to your point, why I believe in PIN so much is that the truck sizes that we enable, which again is $3,000 in the low end, we're working on getting that even lower. It's like you really do kind of get at least a 15 to 25 portfolio of um, startups in this world. And again, that are all essentially backed by the top VCs as well. And so you're not just getting you know, 15 to 25 really random startups, but truly kind of high quality ones. And ideally also ones that are sourced from a community that you're a part of or um, of a community that you believe in the mission of. Um, and so there's a familiarity rather than just like a randomness to it as well. Yeah, that's cool. It's just kind of like a, uh, yeah, it's an index on the tech that you care about. So if you're a synthetic bio person, boom, you get in, you know, you get in the synthetic bio, blah, 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 and you get kind of an index of the the, the future cool um, synthetic bio companies. That makes sense. It also Absolutely. is, I mean, it's crazy, as you said, the um, the Stanford, um, when you go into these networks of people that are just like, oh, blah, 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 people are normally living life. They're like, whoa, okay, now I'm learning about VC. And then you get into that world and you're like, oh, man, depending on where you're at, it's like, you can't, it's all word of mouth. It's all status. It's all access. And then even when you go to Stanford, it's like, oh, Stanford, well, everybody's Stanford at the MBA program. They can invest. It's like, no, like 60% of the class isn't accredited. And so it's like, even that's like these funny little canary in the coal mines where it's like, even like the most like quote unquote elite or like, you know, advantaged groups, if they can't even access it, then it's like, that's, that's a sign of badness. Um, So tell me about um, what do you think about well, yeah, I guess I have, I have one other question on this, which is like this like power law dynamic is so funny in VC where, yeah, it's just, you know, whatever, 5% of the returns from 90% or sorry, 90% uh, of the returns from 5% of the companies or whatever you want to call it. Um, it, uh, it, it creates this weird kind of, um, in my mind, like a, like a um, zero sum ecosystem where everybody's trying to access, especially at the series A level. Plus it's like, it's like Sequoia and A16Z, like there's, they always say, you know, there's only 10 companies that, that matter every year. And you're like trying to get into those 10. And, um, and so because of the power law, you just get these weird dynamics where then everybody's kind of just like scrounging over their scraps for like being in the top stuff. So I guess this I'll say, can you philosophize at us a bit about like the power law and how you think the power law impacts the kind of nature of the VC game? Yeah, I think I have so many thoughts on that. I don't even know where to begin. I um, I think the biggest one, and it's also part of our mission, I think on a, a secondary level, um, and hopefully something can impact, especially when we're bigger, is I think that dynamic results in a herd mentality where um, you know, a very select type of company and a select type of founder, if you will, is invested over and over again, whereas a lot of opportunities are looked over because there isn't that kind of hype and, and herd mentality. Um, something that I've always found very fascinating, especially as someone who came from VC, is that um, I think what matters more, I'm gonna say this is especially true for the pre-seed seed, um, a little less so for the series A and B, but I'd say still really important for a founder, and I think any VC would agree, which is storytelling ability of a founder um, I think is literally the number one best skill that any founder can have. And if you were to only look at one thing in regards to, you know, betting on which founders are going to be successful at raising VC or not, I think storytelling ability would be the one that I would, I would kind of bet on because um, frankly, I think it moves the needle so much, especially at the early stages where there's not really much to go on. Everyone knows that teams change, you know, ideas change, you know, industry hype changes. There's so many factors that really go into it. Um, but the one thing that people can rely on is people's ability to tell a story because that results in getting other VCs to mark up your round in the future, um, hiring the best people, you know, selling to new customers, things like that. And so it's a frustrating part of this world, but it is something that at least in today's environment is still really true. And so something that I'm hoping with PIN is that our belief is that every community out there has an, an extra advantage. Um, like people at the forefront of different technologies. And I think probably your podcast and your audience is probably a perfect example of this where, you know, people have different expertises in different things and we'll see kind of like the canary in the cold mine, if you will, um, and the kind of like the leading trends earlier than the, the mass VCs will um, because they're obviously at a very high level investing in things but aren't kind of the ones that are at the forefront of all these technologies. And so something that I hope we can empower is more of these groups that are investing in and empowering a lot of different types of ideas rather than the ones that happen to kind of catch the hype cycle of, you know, the top VCs. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's um, that there's like, 
yeah, every, you know, the, uh, what's his name? Peter Reinhardt from Segment, um, aka from Charm, um, when he left Segment and went to Charm, he was like, you know, the frontier is closer than you think. Or it's like, you kind of like double, especially in something like climate tech, especially something like two years ago, it was like, let's double click on this like three times. And before you know it, you're like, okay, we are like where there's money to be made and science, applied science is happening. Um, and so I think, yeah, as I think it's a smart way to view the communities is they're just like communities at the frontier and that they have really good, um, they're able to push it forward. And so that's like you can, a, a set of folks who are kind of pushing that forward, developing and, and, and quote unquote exploiting, get, getting value capture from, from that frontier makes a lot of sense. The storytelling piece is funny. I wonder if there's like a product market fit um, version of that, but for stories like um, like meme meme and Twitter audience fit or something, I don't know like what, <laughs> what that looks like. Um, but it's okay, God. So it sounds like, um, so I want to ask then a, um, so I think we mostly understand what's going on with PIN and how it relates to the ecosystem and why y'all are into it. I want to ask one other VC question before kind of, um, shifting in a, a random other direction at the end, which is, so the, the v, other VC questions, how do you see the, like in the next 10 years, how do you see the, the venture capital evolving? Yeah, my hope is that, um, VCs have less power and I, you know, I love, I, I do love VCs. I was a VC. I'm still very close with a lot of people in the ecosystem were VC backed. Um, so I don't even say that in an aggressive or hostile way, but I think kind of to our conversation that we just had, I feel like VCs do sway um, a lot more in society um, than even we talk about just because they are really kind of the gatekeepers of capital and decide at the end of the day, what gets funding and what doesn't. And I think that is further exacerbated by the fact that to your point, everyone's kind of chasing the hot deals and Signal, you know, Signal comes, I think, less from the technology and the interestingness of the company and more from who else is in the round, which results more in this kind of, you know, um, weird dynamic where like a select few ideas and select few types of founders are getting invested in. And so my hope is that um, funding, whether empowered through PIN or other mediums in the future, um, more power is given to more people to decide essentially with their dollars, the ideas and concepts that they want to see in the world and to support the founders and companies and products that they want to see, um, especially if they're at the forefront of the, the consumer that those companies are serving, right? Um, so that is my hope. And I think it's actually trending there. Like we're already seeing, and I think to a earlier conversation about Web3 and crypto, they're a great example of that, where a lot of these really big projects, um, you know, obviously success aside, but some very successful projects as well, um, opted to kind of completely forego traditional institutional venture capital and go straight to their community to raise. And I think we will see more successful legitimate companies do similar things. Like our biggest hope for PIN is that, you know, the top companies that otherwise would get top VC money, maybe they come straight to PIN and they actually fill their entire round with individuals and community members um, than institutions. Um, it'll take some time to get there, but that's what we're working on. Yeah, that's cool. It's, um, yeah, and there'll be some kind of, uh, synthesis of because uh, in some ways a vc is a community you know something like uh, a16g has a 500 person squad and they're all kind of but then other ways it, but it feels it feels different <laughs> and the ownership dynamics are different, <laughs> and, different. And, yeah a little different and the owners yeah. i think especially the ownership dynamics of like you know everybody's is different so it's like yeah can you imagine it would be cool if like future pin rounds we'll be curious about that where it's like do you imagine a future pin round is like funded by pin people you know what i'm saying yeah, no, I mean, that would be our hope. Like, imagine that'd be, yeah, I don't think we're that far off. It'll take some time for sure, but that's literally the goal that we're hoping for. Nice. Yeah, that'd be sweet. It, um, yeah, and it would be nice. It is funny, these, the, this, this constant, it makes me think of, you know, taking a, a large step back is like, uh, during the scientific revolution, it was like, wow, like instead of like believing what God said, we can believe what we're seeing from the world, empiricism okay, cool. And we should like treat things all the, the same and have the scientific um, method. And then applying that then to other things led to like liberalism and the enlightenment and all stuff where it's like, wait a second, shouldn't we treat like women and men the same or whatever? It's like maybe everybody or like, well, that came later, but like maybe the rich and the poor can also vote, you know? Um, and so that kind of trajectory of social justice and things like that and, and equity as a thing, it kind of stills with us today in this cool way where it's like decentralization as a underlying value or kind of equity as an underlying value makes us look at the system that we see of 
power law dynamics for the power law people and say, that's not necessarily right. Um, right. And instead we can, um, as, as you all keep building with Penn, then there'll be more and more distribution of that access to other folks. So that sounds cool. And I'm excited for that and other collectives um, to be, to be pr uh, propagating that forward. So I want to ask um, another question, kind of move to like the, in the final kind of 10 minutes here, Hey, I want to ask you a question about um, the, so these are like mostly non-VC questions or whatever, but like you have a really good, um, you have good meme game. You also have a job on your website. Oh my gosh, I'm honored. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, um, and I guess I'm specifically talking about like Twitter, Twitter meme game. Um, and you also have a job on your website, Meme Lord. Uh, what do you, like, what's your orientation towards memes and what makes for good memes? And when I say meme, I don't mean like the, picture on top thing on the bottom but just like any kind of pithy kind of um you know uh, fortune cookie statement or whatever oh a fortune cookie statement about what makes well, it really fortune cookie but like but what makes for good kind of uh pithy statements or how, how do you think about like um mimetic propagation and kind of idea propagation like the kinds of things that you want to post or you know why you have a meme lord on your site and, and this maybe is connected to storytelling <laughs> i love that question um it, yeah, it's funny. We're also doing a big design rebrand now and something that I still, you know, as you we were talking with our designers about this is like, we want to keep levity and fun within our brand because it feels really authentic um, to us as a team, but I think it's really benefited us in a couple of ways. Um, like one is like we attract really awesome people for our team and like our community leaders are so fun. They obviously take the job seriously. Like at the end of the day, we're like a fintech company, um, but they know at the end of the day, this is also about like community and connection and learning together and like not everything is so transactional and serious. And so I think it is an, like kind of an extension of what we stand for and why we're different than, you know, uh, a syndicate on Angelus, which again is great. I love Angelus. I'm a, a consumer myself, um, but it's just, we serve a very different function. Um, and in terms of what makes a good meme, I think the, the feedback that I love that we get the most is um, when people either are either surprised um, or they kind of say that it's like something that they've been thinking and wanted to say, but haven't. And so in some ways, I think it's an element of like surprise, but also relatability. And so I, I hope that our um, future presence continues to perpetuate that as we build out our, our company and brand. Yeah, nice. Um, surprise. Yeah, exactly. The classic combo of surprise plus relatability and something that, um, yeah, oh, I wish I would, you know, oh, that thing, I've been thinking that same thing. That's kind of like a good uh, kind of mimetic refactoring of that that idea. Um, so and then let me ask another question, here, um, which is like, you know, I'm looking at, um, I use this uh, um, uh, extension called Tweemex, which shows, you know, the top tweets for someone all time or whatever. And I just see yours here. They have 4,000 tweets or 4,000 likes on these things. And I just, I've, I don't think I've literally ever had a tweet with more than like, barely even more than like a hundred likes. And so like, what, um, um, I just am not, I'm not, I'm not good at tweeting, you know, or at least I'm not good at getting tweets with lots of likes. So tell me, how do you like these, some of these ones where it's like, I don't know, this one about, um, you know, uh, it was kind of funny, like visiting SF for the first time. Here's some like funny things that I can do or like. You know, um, you know, this one from Daniel Gross, it's like new life goal unlock, like invest in money, you know, this like hundred, you know, um, 1 million to hundred million in random startups that I'm excited about. How do you, how do you like kind of, how do, how do you, how do you make these, these tweets that actually quote unquote go viral <laughs> or like have lots of likes? Um, well, yeah, I'm honored that anyone thinks I'm funny and I'm especially honored that you think that any of these are amusing. Um, it's funny. I actually, not that I always think in the same world as Jerry Seinfeld at all, but he's a comedian that I love. I do love stand up. And I remember hearing a um, like speech or podcast that he gave where he was talking about how he has like an idea notebook. And whenever he feels moved by something like emotionally, it doesn't you know necessarily need to make him laugh. But if he has like a kind of a second, you know, pause moment where he thinks about something, he writes it down. And I feel like, especially in the day to day of a startup, um, we come across these things all the time. And so sometimes I'll just have a moment of like, oh, wow, that just interesting i don't even have a reaction to that yet it's just interesting and i literally have like an apple note on my thing that i just write it down and you know as it marinates in my brain it usually comes together and it's those are kind of the fun moments to share that i really like relating with people on cool cool yeah it's a cool um it's interesting because i think yes yeah, there's something about um uh yeah just like a, a thing that that strikes you emotionally like a little having a little note thing and then also just yeah just making i think funny too is a crucial bit of it where it's like just like hey this is like kind of like a funny random thing you know like here's like a rant instead of just always tweeting serious crap or whatever um okay sweet so that that's i think i understand oh let me ask you one other question about memes and you chatted about this before but like how do you think meme game relates to to venture capital oh like man i think 
Yeah, I think memes are an amazing way to differentiate yourself. Um, it's funny, I feel like a lot of brands are now seeking out um, meme lords like we are. Everyone's searching for a meme lord and they're frankly really hard to find. So if you're funny and you're, um, you like being on the internet and you understand tech, like let me tell you, there's a huge market for you. So if any of your listeners fit that criteria, they should contact me because I and many others are you know eager customers. Um, I think it just helps you differentiate. I think on one hand, um, you know, VCs are known for being kind of like very serious and, you know, there's a lot of kind of like stereotypes that people make fun of. And I find that people kind of speaking to our earlier point about like relatability and, and whatever else, I find that VCs and also people in this world who don't take themselves that seriously and kind of lean into the joke are very favorably looked upon. So there are people like Turner Novak, for example, that I really kind of appreciate, like he is a VC, of course, on paper, but um, he feels more like a peer and a friend and someone you learn from than like a scary institution that you're taking money from. So I think it's also great for relatability. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, relatability, like parasocialness. It's just like, oh, there's Turner just like kind of just with his glasses, I don't know, red hair, just like kind of chilling <laughs> on his phone, you know? And so it's like that kind of, yeah, you can kind of like, yeah, I'll, I'll take that guy in my cap table or I'll, I'll hit him up about this random thing. Um, that makes exactly. sense. Um, tell me about your... Um, uh, some re recommendations, actually, which is, um, what's one, well, I guess, mm, yeah, yeah, um, what's, hmm, which one do I want to ask? I have, like, a list of these that I like to ask people, and, uh, oh, maybe the one I'll, yeah, the one I'll ask is, what is one surprising thing you've learned about growing a, about growing pen? Oh, man, um, Everyone says this, but I think it's really, uh, it's true once you're in it, is that like 90% of my thoughts and time are spent on people, things, whether that's team stuff, like recruiting, or I wouldn't say even like issues. Like, unfortunately, we have an eight person team and everyone is amazing. And we all are, you know, we're a small enough team where we all get along really well. Um, but it's like, everyone has their own emotions and biases they bring to the table, different levels of knowledge, et cetera. And I just find that I spend a lot of my time thinking about people and making sure my team is happy and that I'm compensating them well and making them feel like they're a part of this and that they're motivated. Or, you know, even just thinking about like our communities that we're empowering, right? It's like, why are people excited to be a part of these and helping leaders be successful and helping them win investments from great companies they want to? It's all about like people and psychology and essentially boiling down. I was just thinking about this today, actually. I think if you boil down, um, most things to thinking about how the other person is thinking about that situation, it helps add so much clarity to things. Um, like everyone is driven by their own self-motivations, like just naturally, everyone is selfish. And I mean that in the most flattering way, I'm selfish. Um, and I find that so much of my time is just spent thinking about other people and how they might be perceiving a situation. And so people stuff in general across all those categories, I think is just a huge amount of time and another 10% is like administrative work but <laughs> it's really true that you know 90% of it is just people stuff which is fascinating yeah. that makes sense yes yeah, it is funny it's like oh a tech company you're just like doing tech stuff all the time it's like well no it's like we're all still people here um it is yeah. cool too to think about I'm thinking about you know when I laid off some crew uh some some folks recently it's like just trying to sit with their um how the other person is thinking and this is like the most extreme example but it's very clear just like how would that you've been thinking about it for a bit blah 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 and so it's like it, you kind of experienced your personal surprise about oh shit i guess we gotta do layoffs and then but then you then you eventually have to sh share it with the, the the team and when you do so it's like just being like wow just being super empathetic with their surprise at that moment where it's like everybody's probably really surprised and so just sitting with it knowing they're surprised and just and just trying to be in their world for that time um is a good thing um so tell me what is um let me ask one other one which is what advice do you have for like uh ambitious young people Oh my gosh, take as many shots on goal as you can. Um, it, that is like my number one piece of advice. I think my biggest regret is, and it's funny, it's like this applies to memes as well, but it's just, it's so true. The quote of like, you, you don't make any of the shots that you don't take. And I genuinely believe that more people don't do amazing things. It's not, you know, you failing to do it. It's like people being too afraid to start. And that's like the biggest tragedy to me. And so I always encourage people to really just, take the shots, you know, um, it's like a mental thing really kind of in your way. It's not a skill thing or an access thing for most people. Um, and so, yeah, that's my one piece of advice. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's like, um, increase your surface area of serendipity by hitting people up, by applying for things, by doing whatever. And then eventually something will happen. It'll be cool. And, but, but yeah, but you have to, you have to do a bunch of stuff in order to get that. Um, one little final section on overrated, underrated. So I'll 
ask the question and then you all say, yeah, (laughs) yep. Um, And then you'll say whether it's overrated or underrated, kind of like a little, and then like one sentence for why or whatever. Uh, Let's start with um, getting an MBA. Is that overrated or underrated? Oh, overrated. Especially if you're going, I think most people go for professional and career stuff. And for that, it's way overrated. Um, But I think what's underrated is all the personal and the social stuff that I think people underrate. But overall, it's overrated. But overall, as far as I can tell, it's like a big party, which does sound fun, but kind of expensive. But I guess you get the money back. (laughs) Very fun. Very expensive, exactly. (laughs) Is crypto overrated or underrated? I think it's underrated now. I think too many people have written it off entirely as a technology right now in in this world. Yeah. Classic, classic. Everybody's like, oh, crypto, crypto's dead. Reese, do you still have a job or whatever? I'm like, it's fine. There's, <laughs> there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of like people building stuff. Um, one final one is, is VC as an asset class overrated or underrated? I think it's underrated. Um, as much as I, you know, <laughs> as much as we're sometimes, you know, in the, in the future, as we think about it, we're trying to disrupt them. I think there's still so much potential with uh, how the world can change based on where money at the early stages of companies and private investing in general is allocated. And I hope that, you know, selfishly can plays a role in that. But as an asset class, I think there's so much more room to grow and things to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, still relatively new and still a lot to, to be done. Um, beautiful. Well, Steph, thank you again for coming on the show. If anybody wants to check out Steph on Twitter and see that uh, her meme name, um, she's <laughs> at Steph Moy, which is S-T-E-F- or sorry, S-T-E-P-H-M-U-I. Um, and then if you're excited by pen stuff and want to either create a club or you know b- apply to be a meme lord, you can go to getpin.xyz. Anything else to say to our listeners today, Steph? No, this was so fun. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I, th- I feel like I learned things and I'm, I'm glad. I hope that there will be, uh, I hope that VCs lose power in 10 years and that uh, there are pin investment <laughs> clubs everywhere. Uh, <laughs> Well, thanks again, everybody. And thanks, (laughs) Steph. And goodbye, all. Thanks so much for listening today. If you like the show, please give us a five-star podcast review or subscribe on YouTube. And if you'd like to chat about this episode with a community of amazing, smart, ambitious, divergent people, come on by and join our Discord. You can find it at root.co. That's R-O-O-T-E dot co. And then finally, if you'd like to contribute to these ideas being shared more widely in society, you can support the podcast production team at patreon.com slash Reese Lindmark. That's patreon.com slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. Thanks and see you here for the next episode. Bye.